I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel for another week of Inside Supercars. That's here, the news and the views of what's going in in Australia's premier racing class. Craig, you've got some treats for this week from your trip to Queensland Raceway. Indeed, we've spoken to Mark Winterbottom and Lee Holsworth. Uh, that's why the episode's called Sliding Doors, because uh, they've managed to maybe... It should be called Turnstiles, actually. I think I'll change the name. It's Turnstiles because uh, one came in one way and the other came in the other way and they, it'll be interesting to see how they go for the rest of the year. Uh, with the launch of Bathurst last week, uh, Stephen Richards is saying he's keen to take on Craig Lowndes and the co-driver stakes, having won the race together last year. Here's both Craig Lowndes and Stephen Richards talking to Paul Glover from Supercars Media on returning to Bathurst. Craig, just over 60 days to go now for Bathurst. Makes it all real. What's it like for you coming back this year? Uh, quite exciting. I think that uh, obviously new change for me being beside Jamie and being a co-driver, considering last year we were lucky enough to win it with Richo. But, uh, you know, for me, watching the year unfold and the way that, uh, you know, the development of cars have been, um, I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to the challenge. How different is it this time around? Well, for me, very different, you know, firstly being a co-driver, so I'm just going to be focusing on race cars and, and doing long runs and other stuff. Jamie can focus on the qualifying uh, and the finish of the race, hopefully on the, on the top step, but uh, for my mindset, it's going to be the same going in the sense of the preparation, um, getting organised, but, uh, you know, I love that time of year. You know, I really uh, embrace the energy of, of Bathurst, the, the crowd, and, uh, and I'm going to really enjoy this year. Back with Jamie, you had the three-peat back in 2006, 2008. I mean... How, what would it mean to get number four with Jamie? Uh, well, it would be really special, to be honest. Um, you know, we go there every year um, with the same mindset of, of you know, preparation right, a bit of luck go your way, getting the car right, and it needs to be fast at the end of the day, not the start of the day, because the track evolves. We all know that, and um, if you don't, you do now. Um, it, it's one of those things. It, it, I just love the event because of the, the distance, the, the duration, um, the elevation of the track. Um, all those elements really make it special. So for me, um, you know, I'll go there and, and do my best, do my part for Jamie. Um, as I said, hopefully he'll bring it home and uh, get the trigger flag. And this year's about the battle of the mountain, or battling the mountain. I mean, as you just touched on there, what is it about Mount Panorama that makes it so hard to tame, I guess, and such a good place to race? Well, you got you know six point two four kilometres of road that uh, you know really uh, needs your attention from turn one to the last corner, and especially across the top of the mountain where the elevation just goes up and you get to skyline, and then it goes right down again. So um, all those things that really TV are very hard to capture that side of it. But when you get drivers that come from Europe um, or any parts of the world and come into Bathurst and see the elevation of of going up the mountain, down the mountain, going into Forest Elbow. And then getting on to Conrod Strait and, and you know, getting close to 300 kilometres an hour, it's, it's a really special place um, for six and a half hours or 1,000 kilometres, 161 laps. It's, it really is game on from start to finish. And you've got wind number seven under the belt. Is wind number eight going to happen this year? Oh, well, I hope so. I, I, I wouldn't pair up with Jamie if I didn't believe it was my best opportunity. Um, you know, for me, it's, you know, making the announcement at the end of last year was very easy to be a co-driver or slip into a co-driver role. And uh, whether it was going to be Jamie or Shane, it's...
it didn't really worry me, but uh, you know we have great history with Jamie. Um, hopefully we can start another three-peat. Richo, we're you know, just over two months away, I guess, from Bathurst. Different for you this year. How are you feeling heading into it? Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, we've, um, Irwin Racing have, have built a really good... Charlie's built a really good team around Frosty. Um, he's, he's been driving incredibly well. Yeah, we've had, had our ups and downs, but I think um, everything's looking good in, in, uh, as we head towards the mountain where, where we're looking strong. Defending champion but with a new team, does it change much for you? No, look, it doesn't. It doesn't change the way that I go about things, but it does, um, it does give me a whole new level of, um, of, of hunger to, to get involved and try and help, to, help Frosty to build a team and, and make, it a, make it a threat for that race and, and those other races. So, um, as I said, I, I really like to make a contribution. I, like, I don't like to just turn up come race day and, and um, get in the car and do my thing. I like to, like to try and add, add some input where I feel it's valued. And, and uh, you know, I guess it's another set of eyes that, that get to try and move the whole program forward. You and Craig, good mates, but you're going head-to-head in the co-driver sessions, I guess. I mean, what's yeah. that going to be like this year? Yeah, look, it'll, it'll be different, that's for sure. You know, when you spend five years with someone and you've sort of grown up, you know, your careers have been in parallel, you know, we, we, we do know one another really well. We're, we're great friends. And, um, but by the same token, you know that when you're in the car, you take, your, you take your friendship hat off and you get your competitive hat on and off you go. So, you know, I'll be the first one to be, um, you know, try, trying to get one over him on track. Um, but understanding that you know there's a there's a, a whole a whole 161 laps got to go by before we get to the checkered flag. And Dad won it seven times. You're up to five. I mean, are you chasing that seven to get the bragging rights? You're chasing eight <laughs> to get bragging rights at Christmas. I was I was I was only ever chasing one. So to to have another four is a is a big bonus. Um, I look, you know, I'd like to think I've got a few more years left in me to do a good job to be in a position to be able to win the race. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm more about being a part of this team, the Irwin Racing team, moving forwards and, and create, creating something special. Indeed, and he'd be looking for his, uh, I think it would be seventh race win, wouldn't it? Yeah. Maybe not that many, no, maybe not that many. Yeah, I can think of... He'd have at least four, though. Yeah, I, I can think he had the one with Bright, he had one with Lowndes, he had one with Winterbottom. Murphy. Mur- at least one with Murphy. So that's definitely four. Yep. Yeah. Seven yeah. is his father. Yes. So he'd be looking for it. Yes, indeed. Indeed. It's not a bad a lot for the family, is it? No. No, not at all. Um, some interesting news around. Uh, Tickford off testing. Uh, that's on Tuesday today. Um, there are five cars. And, of course, this is the debut for young Tom Randall, which is great news that Tom's out there in Scandia, an Australian company that makes something that I'm vitally interested in, and that's uh, Woodfires. They're a uh, company that's been very successful, a very strong brand. They have black and orange colours. Uh, have you seen the new colour scheme for the car for uh, Randall, uh, Craig? I have, and it is, uh, well, it's interesting because Walkinshaw and Dreddy United have also released their um, car, for the Mega Fuels look, and it's a very black stealth look as well, with a gold livery on the side for Mega and white for Mobile One. Yeah, okay. All right, well, tech for up testing today. Um, Kelly have uh, had some recent aero testing. Do, do, have we had any feedback from what they found out, or has that happened, or is that going on now? It's going on as we speak, and uh, we'll be trying to find out as much as we can to uh, bring it back to you in next week's show. 
All right, and I'll be looking forward to uh, having a chat with Thomas Randall maybe later this week. So that's uh, some news around town. Um, we had the uh, interesting PR event and DJR Tim Penske announcing they'd raised 30000 for Camp Collie. Um, how did they do it, Craig? That's the question. How did they raise $30,000? Well, they were monitoring by the minute the social media feedback after they had been hit and stung with that $10,000 fine for taking the poster up on the on the dais. And Ryan's story, if nothing else, is acutely tuned to uh, reading the tea leaves. And he realised that there was a huge interest. And I, I think even in some of the social media posts was, how can I get, how can I get one of these posters? And uh, rather than he having... Uh, to raise money through posters to pay for the fine, they decided to do something for charity, and and in turn they have managed to raise uh, thirty thousand dollars, which is a fantastic effort. And Camp Quality naturally were thrilled by receiving the windfall. Yes, indeed, that's great news for uh, such a very worthy cause. Um, Camp Quality is uh, built around uh, kids with cancer, I believe, and that's improving the, the time when uh, they need some distractions from the life they're living of uh, trying to cope with cancer. Mm. Um, the, around supercars... The testing of the potential 2020 engine package. I mentioned before about the Walkinshaw look. That's going to be on a spare chassis with a engine that they're going to be... Uh, testing and uh, interesting it is TCR pilot John Martin who will carry out the test in the team spare car and this uh, testing involves um, doesn't it uh, um, what's it throttle uh, throttle by wire by throttle yeah there's um, what they're really looking for is at the moment the engine is the most expensive component on the car. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to extend the life of it. Now, they're not going to the draconian lengths of saying that you can only have three engines a year, and which we see in Formula One, but they are looking at trying to get more kilometres per rebuild into those engines. So they're going to look at detuning the engine slightly, which of course, uh, is easily done and monitored through the MoTeC ignition that we uh, have heard about earlier in the year and the changes there. And uh, they're hoping by detuning them somewhere in the order of 15 horsepower that the components will last longer. It's all part of, as you could pick up from our interviews in the last couple of weeks, uh, from Rod Nash and Ryan's story. It's all part of trying to make this sport viable into the future uh, because, you know, the sponsorship isn't raining uh, dollars as it used to. And more importantly, right. the wreck in the racing entitlement contract isn't getting as big a payment to the teams from the end-of-year profits because the end-of-year profits aren't as boisterous as they once were. Indeed. Um, which uh, brings us to some news around supercars and management uh, from two aspects. One is um, uh, beefing up, I believe, in some uh, parts of the business. I mean, uh, Cole Hitchcock has uh, 
moved on again. I don't think he'll be returning this time, though. Um, and they're looking also at doing some work around SuperTube, giving them a, a greater media presence, uh, which uh, this is all follows on, of course, from Sam Barker's uh, departure for the world of Formula One, and I imagine they'll be having to beef up the... Uh, digital world of supercars uh, that would be a component that would be sadly missing at the moment. Yeah, interesting because when I spoke to both Ryan Story and to Rod Nash and I asked them about you know, what what do you have to do more for Super 2 and they were both, you know of the mind that, oh, it's clicking along quite nicely but the car count had been down and uh, you know, I'm, of course I'm paraphrasing two weeks of uh, commentary here but I, I personally felt it was in a lot more precarious position due to the fact that it is so dastardly expensive to be involved in. Well, interestingly, of course, now with Super 3 being on the venue um, at some uh, events, it does add another aspect and it gives people that option. Now, there are certain drivers, um, Paul Morris is involved in a number of drivers, including Brock Feeney in Super 3, and looking at that uh, that ladder, the rungs that you climb up to uh, get to supercar. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops, and uh, obviously there are those involved in uh, Super 2 who are looking to getting a greater presence out there. So it's uh, quite obvious that some work is being done. Maybe there is more done, needs to be done, but uh, that's an interesting development. But anyway, um, the other news was around uh, Tickford's seat, uh, some people feeling that uh, Chaz has made the decision and he's he's gone. Uh, are you of that mind? Yeah, that, I, I'm definitely of the opinion that he is going to Walkinshaw next year, uh, that he knocked back the Penske offer and he's going to go to Walkinshaw because he wants out of Tickford. Um, Rod Nash, as you heard last week, his first words were, he hasn't left yet. But it seems to me that he is he is gone. It looks like it's Walkinshaw. Um and it'll be an interesting dynamic. Andrew Van Leeuwen has written that uh, he believes, or that the, his, the the words he is hearing is that Jack LeBrock is the red-hot favourite to go into that seat. There was some talk that he might have moved last year, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. There was... Uh, some scuttlebutt around the last year that he might be going into the bottle seat where Mark Winterbottom left. But uh, anyway, we'll see what happens and time will play itself out. But Andrew Van Leeuwen with that story at motorsport.com. A very interesting, uh, you know, curveball to throw into the mix. All right, well, this week's show, we've got Mark Winterbottom talking of his uh, arrival at uh, Charlie's Furcolts and for the first time in his driving career in supercars, either the development series or the main, that he has uh, been driving this year a Holden, something that was alien to him, as uh, I don't believe that Holdsworth would have driven a Ford before, would he? Uh, yeah, when he was at Stone Brothers. Oh, of course, of course, which, of course, he was at Stone Brothers when they transitioned from being in Falcons into Mercedes. So after the break, it's Matt Stone. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. 
for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Well, Matt Stone, uh, is the second year, as we're halfway through it now, any easier than the first? Um, yeah, look, we learned a lot of lessons, uh, both good and bad, last year, and you know, we sort of came into it with a much different approach this year and sort of spent a lot of the last uh, last quarter of, of 2018 uh, making sure that we were going to hit the ground running in 20. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're happy with our progress. Um, we're happy with the way the team and everything's unfolding. You know, we're, we're, we're moving forward in the direction we want to. How have you seen some of the changes this year and how they've impacted on your progress and development? Um, look, I mean, definitely the, the change to single spring has helped us because we as a team have had years of experience with single spring in Super 2 and the twin spring last year was a, wasn't a foreign concept to us, but it was something we just didn't have the data from previous years with. So um, I think that has definitely helped us and also jumping back on board with the 888 customer program as we have done with that sort of equipment in the past, has definitely helped us as a one-car team. So, yeah, a lot of the things we've done and a lot of the changes for this year have definitely attributed to our uplift in performance. The X-Track making any difference in what you have to do uh, in between rounds? Um, look, it's definitely a labour-saving with the X-Track because it does not require as much servicing. Uh, we've found, um, but in tough financial times, it was also a... A large capital expense. So, look, you, you take the good with the bad. I, I, I have mixed views on it, and um, yeah, probably don't won't go into too much detail. But all in all, it's uh, it is has been a good good gearbox. Fortunately, you still got a few other cars that you're looking after that is using the Alvins, which is the uh, former gearbox. So, in some respects, you are um, you are able to amortise those costs still. Yeah, look, I mean, our model is very uh, very unique in that we, being in the main game works for us because we have such a broad range of where we race these cars in the in the years to come. And, you know, we'll cycle our main game equipment down to Super 2 and then further on to Super 3 as we participate in all those categories. So it means that we can always justify upgrading to the latest available equipment in the main game because we have a home for our current equipment in years to come by filtering it down the ranks. So... The model helps us to be competitive, um, helps us to make sure we always have the best best that we can um, up top and, and, and in every level as we, you know, we'll always have good equipment that we're familiar with to drop down into those levels as they become available. You've been around racing all your life, so was it as big a surprise how the arms race can quickly take off in the main game? Um, yeah, look, I mean, we, I grew up in the main game back in the... You know, the golden days of supercars when the economy was strong and it was very, very uh, competitive. It, I mean, it's still very competitive, but, you know, a lot more teams had the ability to do their wildest desires. Uh, I then branched out into the support categories where it's a very, you're also very competitive, but you're much more financially limited. Uh, and, you know, we found a way, we found our own way of doing things, which is a much more economical way of making every, every dollar achieve more. Um, and then when we jumped into the main game, I found myself uh, 
slipping back into old habits and op- trying to operate our team the way uh, teams had ran years before. Um, and it sort of took us a hard reset to start start operating operating the Matstone Racing way at the top level. And now that we've been able to, you know, put our own little processes and everything and apply them to this level, we're starting to find that we can uh, run an economical program that hopefully will be viable in the years to come. The sustainability is a a critical thing, and I think you're not the only one trying to battle with that at the moment. Is Is there a big problem in your eyes when you look around at sustainability with what's going on at the top end? Um, yeah, look, I don't think it's so much the top end. I think uh, Viet Supercars in general do a very good job. I just think the, the economy uh, can't support the, the efforts that we're all doing at the moment and we need to find more economical ways of doing it because um, you know, there's just not the capital that there was to, for us all to operate at the level of what the top end now, are doing now. Yeah, there's still a few teams that can drag in the budgets of yesteryear, um, but unfortunately not all of us. So the category is working very hard to make the sport uh, achieve parity that, you know, even if you have the best budget, doesn't necessarily guarantee your race wins. Um, and I, th- I think there's a lot of work to be done there, but I have confidence in the fact that a lot of work is being done on it as we speak. So I think they've got the right people on the job and hopefully um, there'll be some some changes over the next couple of years that'll all be for the positive now it's it's been reported you've made some pretty hard decisions early on this year um one of them being that uh future with todd hazelwood uh can you elaborate on on that uh yeah look i mean that was uh probably put to media out of context um you know we we, we certainly didn't put out a release uh it was you know leaked isn't the right word because it wasn't that much of a story um, in my mind, but essentially, you know, like many drivers, uh, you have you know, a contract to term, and ours was two years. We had a, a two-year program with Todd, and going into next year, you know, we've got the team, the business, and everything operating at a, at a level where we're happy, but to go forward, you know, we need to reevaluate some options in this, this economy, and, you know, we didn't want Todd being, you know, for both the team and for his career, we both need to look at all options on the table to make sure that we make the right decision. So I feel that the the speculation and the stories that came out uh, portrayed a much more grim view than what actually was the case. Um, and I guess that's just the nature of these things. You know, it was a hot story at the time uh, for whatever reason. And But, yeah, like definitely we're just looking at next year at how to make it work as everyone is and and obviously from Todd's point of view he's looking at next year and making sure that for his career he gets himself on the grid and in a in a position whether it be with us or another team where he can be performing any time that new team owner not that you are a new team you're a new team owner but you've got the experience and wealth of knowledge behind you in the game but it's still a new team and a new driver to the main level that is a difficult ask, isn't it? Oh yeah, look, absolutely. Like we were probably the most prepared team to come into the game in in uh, in certainly in recent years, being that we were operating at the second tier for a long time and quite successfully, uh, and you know we're at the height of our game in that category when we made the step, and even for us it was a massive jump. Um, 
we knew it would be. Like there is, it would be impossible for anyone to believe that they could roll in on day one and you know take out the title. Um, you know, you got to look at the big hitters like Team Penske, Team Penske, Walkinshaw, and Andretti United. You know, a lot of big names have come into the sport, and their first years are never pretty. So we would have been naive to think that we could be different. Um, and as a business and a team. We had never operated in this category at this level. So even though I have a long history in the sport, there's still a lot of unknowns from the, from go, that we had going into it. Um, we obviously made a few decisions to... We threw away a little bit of the consistency we had going in, with Super 2 in the fact that you know we, we had, had AAA equipment that we were very familiar with and we decided jumping up to you know, throw a curveball and switch equipment. Uh, which obviously you know compounded on the fact that it was already such a big step, and then we um, put ourselves a step behind. So that was part of the learning process, and uh, yeah, I mean the first year is always a bit of a write-off, and I'm I'm just thankful that we have made the right decisions over the past 12 months to make sure that the second year we're showing people what we're capable of, and you know we're we're not gonna as a second-year team and a second-year driver, our goalpost isn't to be out there winning races. But you know what we're starting to show people that we're capable of now. You know that's sort of the the targets we were setting for ourselves. And I think it says a lot about you and your mindset that you were prepared around this time last year to make such a big call to go. I've just got all this new stuff, but I'm going to go to something that I think will be more sustainable for the rest of that year. Look, we, it, to be honest, we made that decision um, and it wasn't at all about last year. We knew that we were stepping into a, a body shape that wasn't current and we knew that that was going to be difficult. But we also made the decision that moving into t- this year, we, as a single car team, won cars with the data and we don't, didn't have last year's data, you know, we don't have the last five years' data, we needed that technical alliance. Um, which wasn't available, you know, due to the nature of Penske's way they go racing, that just wasn't available. And so we made the hard decision to go to Triple Eight and broker that deal. And once a decision like that's made, it's very hard to continue idling away doing what you're doing for six months, knowing that that's how you're going to start the next year. So we decided that the best step forward was to start it from that day, even though we couldn't get the latest equipment right then and there. But at least we could start on the process and learn the ins and outs of that relationship so that going into this year everything was working well and you know I think we showed up to Adelaide and you know we made the, made the first shootout of the team and the first shootout of Todd uh, and, and the first shootout of the year actually and I think at that point we sort of justified our actions and knew that we'd made the right decision. The progress you're making is this where you expected to be is this the benchmarks you would set you for yourself not only with the main game team but Obviously, you focus a lot on the main game team and you don't want the balls to drop in any of the other arms of the business. Yeah, look, I mean, um, I never like to set targets because it's motorsport and it can go from hero to zero very quickly um, and vice versa. Look, we definitely, the step up last year, our, all our resources and just the sheer nature of our team growing in size meant that we, we, did, that we did lose performance across the board. And a big focus this year we've had has been on not just get you know, we spent the last six months of last year making sure our main game program hit the ground running. And we've spent the first six months of this year making sure that all of the other categories that we're involved with 
we're getting them back to the standard that we're happy with. Um, there's still a bit of work to be done there because you know we are an ever-growing team, which means a lot more people, um, and you know getting our way of and our culture to new people that that's just time. Um, but as for this year, you know we had a, a class podium at the Bathurst 12 Hour. You know we've had multiple podiums in in class in the Kumo Cup in the Super Three Series. Uh, we won the round round two in uh, Super Two, um, and and obviously uh, TCM. We've sort of only been doing uh, sporadic events, so we haven't really been targeting big big achievements there. And then in the main game, obviously we've um, we've ticked a lot of boxes in top ten qualifying, top one top ten finish and multiple shootouts and top ten qualifyings. Um, now that we've got a taste and we've shown that we've got the speed to qualify up there, uh, our big milestone now is to finish try and finish you know as much as often as we can and as as positively as we can within that top 10 now you've also been tasting tcr as well which is another category that has a very different mindset to the uh the v8 categories yeah look i mean and that was sorry one that i missed in my previous statement but yeah we actually won the uh with our um partnering up with jason bright and the program that that we operate in that category we actually won the first ever tcr race in australia so that was another another tick in the box of what we've been achieving this year um and look we're, we're sort of testing the waters of that category as many are uh to see how it's going to land um and what it's going to turn into um you know i, I like the cars i like the category uh, i like the way they run it um i think the there's been probably a little bit too much damage for the launch which i think everyone's aware of uh, and I put that down to the fact that they are very different cars to what Australia's used to, uh, and you know, which means the cold tyre scenario at the start of the race equals a bit more carnage. So once the, the drivers and the category figure out a way to manage that better, I feel that that category is going to keep growing on strength to strength. And we talked about arms races in this paddock. It's sort of that racing is geared towards the exact opposite. Multiple suppliers, but the components have to come from one two or three yeah and i mean the the, um one struggle a category and a mindset like that can have is that you know we're australian teams buying with buying with australian dollars parts that are sold in euros or pound and you know that that does certainly hurt the budgets when uh when people start start uh crashing into things um but the actual category itself i feel is uh sustainable in its um uh operational costs but it definitely um you know, like everything in the economy, it just needs more, more exposure uh, and more people to sort of trust it, and then once, then it will just go keep growing. Your view of motor racing, because you've had such a long experience, where do you see it in a the ethos of society and to in business? Um, look, it can be. It's an interesting question. Look, I think motorsport is very much a sport and a passion. Um, and the business is what we all do to make sure that we can continue to do our sport and our passion. Um, very few people will work in motorsport if they're not passionate about it because there's generally more lucrative options in almost any industry outside of it. But the, what, is, what is life without passion? And I think you'll find that it is very competitive by nature because everyone who is involved is passionate and trying to beat the other people. I mean, the hardest part about motorsport is... You try your hardest, your whole team tries your hardest, and you put everything you can possibly forward to win, but so does everyone else. So, you know, it's, uh, I think it, uh, it will always have a place in Australian sport. I think as a sport, it will, um, 
it will be healthy in years to come. I just think at the moment sport in general and the advertising involved in it in Australia is going through a bit of a, a readjustment in, in, the, in the current economy and uh, once that readjustment settles, I feel motorsport will start to grow again. Well, there's interesting changes afoot again in supercars in 2020. We're looking forward to seeing how Matt Stone Racing finishes off 2019. Yeah, no, look, we hopefully finish strong this year and hopefully we can come out with uh, a really strong package uh, and as much, you know, uh, play as big a part in this silly season as possible because, uh, yeah, there's obviously a lot of rumours floating around at the moment, um, none of which I'll confirm nor deny. But we'll just keep doing what we do and uh, putting it together. And as soon as we've got next year locked in concrete, we'll uh, let everyone know our plans. Is, is that the biggest difference from being in a main game team to being down in the in the other paddocks? That the fact that rumour, innuendo can you know impact on you and the team? Um, look, we don't take that much. Uh, I wouldn't say it influences that much. Like we you know we we take the humour in it. Uh, and you know we take the take each everything we read as a you know there's a grain of salt and truth in every uh, every bit. But the reality is you know it doesn't affect what we're doing and the decisions we're making. We know our program, we know what we need to do, and uh, you know both on track and off track, and we just keep working to that. So, no. But yeah, I think it's definitely shaping out to be a a very uh, very interesting silly season right up and down pit lane because there's a lot going on by all accounts. Thanks very much, Matt. No worries. Well, this week's show, we've got Mark Winterbottom talking of his uh, arrival at uh, Charlie's Furcolts and for the first time in his driving career in supercars, either the development series or the main, that he has uh, been driving this year a Holden, something that was alien to him, as uh, I don't believe that Holdsworth would have driven a Ford before, would he? Uh, yeah, when he was at Stone Brothers. Oh, of course. Course, which of course he was at Stone Brothers when they transitioned from being in Falcons into Mercedes. As so, well. first off, we'll be starting with Mark Winterbottom giving Craig his view of the world. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Well, Mark Winterbottom in the Irwin Racing Commodore. It's, it just still doesn't seem right to say. Have, have you settled into it? Yeah, it's been good. Um, it, it was a bit of a uh, shift at the start of the year, you know. It's, um, it, was a, it was a big move, but I've, I've enjoyed every moment. Um, yeah, I'm getting used to it. You know, number 18 feels like home now. Um, Irwin Racing is where I am, and this is where I'll finish. You know, this is me. So, um, really, yeah, really love the team and having a lot of fun and, and um, it's home, which is, which is nice. Rod Nash when we talked a few weeks ago was saying you know 13 years in one team in for a sportsman is actually quite an incredible feat so to move now how refreshed are you with the the new setting yeah it's it's never you know it's not you never compare one to the other and people do in our sport unfortunately but um you know, i had 13 great years you you I appreciate everything they did and and um enjoyed my time but my, my time was up i needed to get out of there and 
and progress to the next chapter and and um you know I, I love what charlie's done and i love the way he sort of he thinks about his racing he's a massively competitive guy um puts a lot of faith into you really backs you and you know we've molded a team around what i've asked for so um i really love that opportunity i wanted to take them we're at the end of pit lane i want to take them up the other end and you know it's it's it was it was time for a shift and um i feel like i'm 20 again and it's day one so um yeah i'm having fun and you know you, you never say uh, nothing was bitter you know rod and i actually rode motorbikes last week together um it's cool you respect each other but business is business 13 years was great but um i'm looking forward to this future and trying to get this team up there one thing that's interesting is you've had the benefit of teammates and and data and and probably a few other heads to bounce things off whether it's driving or engineers or mechanics how's it go now where you are you know you're the linchpin you're the driver you you got a more limited amount of voices that you can look at and speak to yeah it's a different dynamic you know we um i come from four cars where uh, you know, each car has an engineer, so there's four engineers. Each car has a data engineer, so there's another four. So you've got an engineering group of about, um, you know, ten people by the time you throw a technical director in, etc. So, and, and you've got four guys trying to drive the development. So there's pros to that, having ten engineers. But if all four drivers aren't asking for the same thing, it can actually cause the opposite effect. So it, there's pros and cons. Um, you know, here... We're, uh, we've got a smaller, close-knit team, but we have got one of the best in the business with Phil Keats. So you, you feel in safe hands. We feel, you know, we're a small team, but I don't feel like we're small. Um, it's, it's strange to say that, but it's, you know, I don't feel small. But there's little things, you know, when you come in, um, you just need a teammate to be faster at one corner, which then goes, okay, what's he doing there or what's she doing there? Pick it up, and then the next session you're onto it. But by yourself, you kind of... Is it me? Is it the car? Is it the condition? Is it the tyre? There's all these factors. So it slows the process, but um, at the same time, it's not an excuse. But, um, you know, it, it, it does take a bit longer to get there, and uh, that's what we're finding. But like Formula One more so than other categories, it is a data and an engineering sport as much as drivers get all the kudos. Yeah, it is, and, um, you know, that's why the, the team provides you with what you got, and then you just try and do the best job you can. But... Um, yeah, it, it's you know we don't run simulation, we don't do that sort of stuff. It's still, although a technical sport, still quite old school, where you got to um, you know crunch the gears, bang the brake pedal, and and you know get aggressive on the wheel. So um, you know it, it does the, the the car obviously impacts it a lot, but good people attract good staff and vice versa. And um, you know we're just trying to get this car quicker, but you need to understand your toolbox and and the car. And once that happens, you don't have the bad rounds you seem to have this consistent run and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to find our little toolbox to know that if it understeers we do this if it oversteers we do that but we're also trying to set ourselves up for next year so we want to go and try and win the championship next year and we need to learn at times and other times we'll we'll um we'll hit it on the on the head and, and get the results so yeah we're in that phase but um yeah one car's tough but i, I actually enjoy driving the team driving the development and just working your backside off and if you're not in at the workshop there's no other driver there so it's on you you've got to be in there you've got to tell them what you need and when it comes good it's going to be really rewarding but um 
we want that now, not you know, not down the track, but is what it is. So, results-wise, did you have an expectation, and where's that to where you thought you'd be? Um, it's hard. Like people don't see, you know, in this sport how long it can take to get there. And, and I'm probably being naive, thought that I'll just slot in and win races, but all the rule changes come in, and the category, although it's got a lot of history. Some of the history you throw away because the rule changes come in, the formats change, all this sort of stuff, and the data, unfortunately, last year wasn't that useful to us. So, um, yeah, it's who, who knows? You, you kind of had this expectation, but we've got a pole position, which um, you know that was happened early in the piece. But then we've tried to, you know, we struggled on long corners, so we've tried to. You know, fix the car that when we go back to those tracks we're competitive. We know if we went back to Tassie tomorrow we'd be competitive. Could probably win the race if we went back there with what we've learnt but um, yeah, it's all about finding where you're at and you know, some rounds we've had some, some things go wrong and other rounds you know, I had a crash at Townsville and yeah, I thought top 10 would be where we could be but um, you know, you're one DNF out of it or you're one good result back in it and, um, but you know, we need to make sure we finish off strong so we start next year with a, with a good an observation is that you seem to be getting good race cars where one lap pace just might not be there you know obviously you've got a pole position but you know across the board you're just being a bit mired down the pack but your tyre life and everything you don't have a lot of drop off and you're very consistent across the whole run. Yeah our race run uh, particularly at, at Ipswich was was good on Sunday so it's um, you know it's there's things you learn but when you've got to tighten the belts and just absolutely rag it that's that's where i'm trying to find the car underneath me and it does completely different things to what i'm used to and how you approach the corner is completely different and all that stuff but i feel like i'm you know i've come away going man that was a good lap and being 16th it's just nature of the beast but we'll we'll get it um we've got incredibly good guys um they worked until 1 30 a.m sunday morning to get the car out there for quali we don't give up and you know i'm lucky to have these guys in my corner because we will get there, and when we do, it'll be really rewarding. And I hope that we keep this, you know, this group of guys we've got because it's. Um, I'm lucky to have them. As we go to the enduros, and oh, obviously, I'm thinking tail and bend. There's a few long steer corners there, so hopefully, you can put that into practice. But uh, as you go to, particularly Bathurst, it almost feels like it's going to be a Blues Brothers episode because you brought the band back together, you, Steve, and Phil. Yeah, well, um, you know, we, we go there with a good chance and that's why you know if we can win Bathurst then whatever happens throughout the year we all forget because that's the race but um you know Richo's been fantastic he's not just going to turn up and race there he's we've seen him in the Uta dips which is a big part of his team and he really supports what I'm doing as well and together although we're one car team I feel like we've got two drivers because we've got um we've got Richo here so um yeah really pumped and if we can get it right on the day, there's no reason why we can't have a go at Bathurst. And that's why we're still trying to learn because Bathurst is going to come here really quickly and when we've seen it as. Um, but, you know, I want to win Bathurst. I think we can go there and on our day we're, we can be a chance and that's what we're trying to do. Well, Frosty, we look forward to seeing it tail and bend and seeing how it all shakes up because the Enduros are going to be very interesting this year. Yeah, bring it on. We're ready to go, but... A good result would be nice for us. Willie Holsworth, halfway through your first season in the Bottolo Mustang, how have you seen your integration into Tickford Racing? 
Oh, yeah, obviously the start of the year was a bit of a, uh, a foreign car for me and, and obviously, you know, also learning a new team and the way they work and everything like that. I had a, a brand new engineer. Um, so, yeah, at the start it didn't really gel, but uh, we've found a, a direction with the car and since it was probably about Perth, um, on the second day in Perth where we found a good direction for me and, and finally, you know, since then things have been going great. We've been improving every round. The consistency's been there. We've been solidly inside the top 10 um, around that 5th to 10th. Uh, but now we're just trying to chip away at, at trying to find those little extra gains to get us um, up into the top five you know, on a consistent level. So I'm really pleased with how it's going. I'm enjoying the team environment. Um, got, got great teammates, fun teammates, uh, and, and a great group of workers around me. So, um, And the relationship with Sammy, my engineer, is, is really starting to gel. And, uh, and that's so important, you know, in this game. If you don't have that gel with your engineer, well, you may as well not turn up. So I, I'm, I couldn't be happier with how, the, how it's progressing, but obviously I want more. How do you develop? Because you've had to do it a few times with engineers and getting them to understand your language and you theirs. How do you do that? Because it's, it's more than just talking spring rates and, and turn in. So is there a lot of work outside the weekend just to find out what makes him tick and what makes you tick? Yeah, 100%. I think the first thing is for you to make, me to make my engineer understand the way that I drive the car and the way I want to drive the car. And, you know, at the start of the year, having a having an engineer that, that hasn't, um, you know, wasn't engineering a driver last year, um, obviously he doesn't want to step too far out of the window at first. So... And when the other cars are performing well, it's it's you know very hesitant to, to step away from that. But I require a little bit different in my driving style. So um, you know, it took us a while to find those gains. But I you know I think uh, from my experience, I knew which direction I wanted to go with the car in terms and, and a little bit of engineering knowledge as well. Um, and once we did that, it gave Sammy the confidence to then start going off in her own little path. Um, you know, we're not too far away from the other guys' windows, but it's just those little tweaks that make it work for me. So, um, yeah, that, it's uh, it, it's obviously a, a learning experience, a learning um, you know curve for, for me and Sammy. Um, but I feel like now we've both got our confidence up, and we're trying new things, and we know what's what's going to keep us in the window and what's going to really step us out of the window. So, um, it's it's developing that. Uh, that confidence in your package and your setup tools to know exactly what they're going to do. A big change is this Mustang over the Commodore that you've been running is the, the fact that it is so new and the, the entire package you're running is, is a very new package. I think it's the same chassis as what was running at the team last year, but aero and all those sort of tweaks have been new to everyone across the board. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, obviously wheeling out a, a brand new aero package, you know, the, the team was always hoping that it would be a, a, an improvement on what they had, which they'd been running, you know, the Ford had been running the, the FG for a long time. So, um, you know, I think the gains with the with the Mustang, we've seen gains, but uh, I think the team took a massive step over the break with the development of the car. They were obviously searching for a window last year, Um and uh, and didn't really find their feet till the end of the year, and then so I've come in at a great time, you know, when when the team's been on the rise again, 
and uh, and the Mustangs just added to that. You know, it helped them help them in a way to achieve uh, the the balance that they've been looking for. And um, yeah, so I, I feel fortunate in a way that that I've come in at the right time and um, I'm trying to make the most of it. Mm. And as you well know, sponsorships and partnerships are such a critical time. Being strong in the back half of this season is going to help Rod go a long way to securing uh, Bottolo for, what, a 15th season or something like that? Yeah, 100%. You know, Bottolo have been a, an amazing sponsor of the team for a long time and for, for Rod personally. So um, I'm, I'm over the moon to have them as my on my car. And, um, and yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm there next year and for years to come and, and give them the results that you know, they, they strive towards and the team strives towards. Uh, I, I'm really, the next step for me is to be on the podium. And, um, you know, I didn't really expect to be so far up at Queensland Raceway because it's been a bit of a bogey track for me. But, you know, I had my best qualifying of the year yesterday in P4 and, uh, and, and yeah, a bit of a surprise that we were we were sort of challenging, could have been challenging for a podium. So, you know, here we are today again on the, on the second day at QR and um, hopefully... Maybe maybe today's the day I'll get a podium, but um, yeah, Bottolo have been around for a long time, and I'd love to see me stay in their car and, and then be, stick around for a long time as well. Mm. You've worked in a number of different team configurations and structures. Tickford has been a, a solid performer for so long. Do you see that they have these well-disciplined systems across the way they do business, and that is part of the reason why you get into a team and go, oh this is why they've been successful over a prolonged period yeah i i think they've they've taken another step with discipline this year you know they've got brad with shoes and um overlooking overseeing the whole engineering group and making sure that no one goes off on a tangent and you know i i, I probably from from a guess i'd say that they all were searching for different paths last year so um you can see the discipline in in a big race team like this and you can see the level of professionalism compared to what I've been in the the previous few years, and uh, and, and yeah, it makes you understand. Well, you know, you always always know why the big teams go so well, and a lot of it's because of communication and discipline. And um, the, the you know, Tickford Racing have certainly got that going on. We mentioned last year or the year before, or last year or the early this year, about sliding doors moments where you actually signed a deal thinking you were going to be part of the Tickford family. Well, I never signed a deal, but uh, I, I, I was um, yeah, very close to, to signing. And, you know, it was obviously between Stone Brothers and uh, FPR at the time for me. So uh, not sure it was the right decision the one I, that I went with in the end. But, um, look, yeah, here we are and I'm, I'm where I wanted to be and where I should have been. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. You know, I haven't enjoyed racing really for, for probably since 2011 i reckon or 2012 um so to then you know eight nine years on to to come back you know to a point where you know i'm now 36 years old and some would say towards the end of my career um and now achieving results that i feel i should have been achieving five six seven years ago um you know it's it's a new lease of life for me and it feels like i can i can really start building my career again and the results are starting to show. So, um, you know, solid top tens every every time we get out there. Tenth in the championship, um, which I'd like to build on. Um, things are looking good and, and hopefully on the up for me. I imagine coming into the season you were saying 
if I can get things right coming in towards Bathurst, I should be in a position where I can have a good shake of the Pertec Cup and, more importantly, the big trophies. Um, now that we're getting close to it and those results are there, how do you feel and how do you then approach the trophy races? Yeah, obviously you want to come into the enduro season with with a good consistent car and one that holds onto its tyres well. Obviously you need the qualifying to be there as well, but it's not as important. Uh, at the moment our qualifying has been fairly consistent. Our race pace is not too bad. We need to build on that. Um, but but I do feel like we're honing in on something that's yeah, you know finding us a little bit more speed and consistency every time we get out there. Um, and then building all those relationships around me is also helping as well, get my confidence up, and um, I'm feeling really good about Enduros. At the moment, you know, I think we can certainly uh, battle for, you know, top three in the Enduro Cup, but you know what Enduros are like. They, you know, the, the way they play out, it's always unpredictable. Um, but I want to be in a position where we can fight for wins and uh, and podiums at those events, and I've got no doubt that we're on the right path to be doing that. Lee, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for your time today. Cheers for that. Thanks. But after the break, we'll be back with final thoughts for this week's show. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock looking forward to Tail and Ben coming up soon, another week or so, and uh, we'll be off to the, the favourite bend in Australia. Uh, your final thoughts for this week's show, Craig? My final thought is, as we go to tape, we don't have the calendar still yet resolved. It's still going to be fascinating to see which way the cookie crumbles for two circuits. Of course, Phillip Island, everyone thinks is is gone, and even Kim Jones, uh, uh, over a month ago now, says he won't miss it. We've got uh, Winton, which I think would almost certainly cause a riot if Winton was canned again, but it has been missing before, and we heard from Jeff Gretsch only uh, a few weeks ago about his role at Winton. QR, which is a nightmare to deal with, I think, is the way to put it for supercars, but it gets, and particularly this year, it got a good crowd, and it probably actually turned quite a handy profit, which is what the supercars business is all about. And then, of course, Townsville, which, you know, for the northern part of Australia is a now iconic event, and how could you let that go? So uh, there's really three going into two spots, and and uh, as Rod Nash said last week to us on the show, there is no way they are going to put all three back on the calendar. Well, there's no way they're going all to right, keep well, all three on the calendar, is the correct way to put it. All right, all right. well, speaking of um, 
calendar and such things, my uh, thought revolves around the thing that's happening today, and that is that uh, at Winton there's another young man who is getting ready for hopefully his rise to the main game. In Thomas Randall, he'll be a, a wild card event. We've had a number of them this year as well. Uh, there's, of course, the Kostecki brothers are rolling out for Bathurst. Uh, and it's fantastic. There's just this ongoing need. So we don't slip into the uh, phase of plus uh, 40-year-olds climbing back into our cars. We want young men, young men with talent, vision, hunger and desire to be racing in the category. And certainly Thomas Randall is one of those young drivers. And it's fantastic to see. Uh, quite amazing, though, that Triple um, Eight, rather, that uh, Tickford will be rolling out a fifth car. Won't be easy for them at Taylor Bed, but I'm sure they'll get it done. So that would be something to look forward to, I imagine, uh, Craig, that you'd uh, have over there at Taylor Bend. Yeah, I think we're going to have an enjoyable weekend when we head across there. And what will be fascinating, and we'll talk more about it next week, is how will the crowd respond? Will they come back again uh, after the novelty of the first supercar event has worn off? Well... That's it for another week of Inside Supercars. We'll look forward to watching the news and views and all the things that are happening around this category. So thank you from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.